Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 28 of the Loving This Life podcast. I know it has been a while. It is me, your host, Abby Hillis, and I have just been incredibly stagnant with this podcast um, since the summer, you guys. So I am here. We're back. And surprise, we're bringing you yet another unique episode. You know, when I started this podcast, I had dreams and ambitions of, you know, exactly what it was going to be. And as life would have it, it, you know, things grow and change as you develop them and put energy and effort into them. And although I want this to be a place of positivity and to encourage victims to truly embrace who they are and allow traumatic experiences in people's lives and teach them to uh, be empowered by those experiences and let them be a positive, um, you know, guide to being the best version of themselves given, you know, their past. I have tried really hard to bring people onto the show that have really just helped me and supported me through my walk and my journey of being a victim and also to help give us tools to kind of just be better. And I've really enjoyed doing that. But one thing that has been really heavy on my heart is to also be a place where people feel like they have a voice. There are so many people in our world that feel silenced. Uh, We've all experienced a huge um, uptick with just being aware of how we're treating others based on their ethnicity, based on their background, based on um, their sexual orientation. And we're learning, I think, in 2020 that we have got to be better about doing that. And we've got to be better about giving people voices that deserve to have one. And so what I want to do today, it's a very different episode. A lot of things have happened since the Advocating for Athletes series came out in the summer. And I really just wanted to use this platform as a way to give victims a voice and to let them tell their story and to just, you know, be heard and know that you are not alone. And my hope that by doing this is that people see it's not just me speaking up. There are a lot of strong, amazing survivors out there that want to speak up, that want to tell their story and want to do it in a way so that they can encourage other victims to speak up and hold people who are treating us wrong and doing wrong things to us, um, hold them accountable for what they're doing and you know, set a standard that we are literally not accepting anything but zero tolerance in the world of whether it's athletes, uh, Title IX offices at universities, or anything else in between. Like We're not going to settle for anything more than zero tolerance. So uh, with all that being said, I do also want to make sure that um, I give a trigger warning. Some of these stories that are going to be shared in this episode are incredibly uh, triggering. They give very vivid detail that may not be suited for younger ears. And it could really um, be a lot to take in. So if you are someone that has similar experiences, uh, this might be a little hard for you to listen to and and may cause um, some triggering. And so I just wanted to give that fair warning. I'm going to go ahead and dive into just um, letting these survivors share their story. And then at the end of the episode, after each survivor shared their story, I'm going to kind of come back full circle and explain to you guys uh, the importance of of speaking up and holding people accountable because we're currently in a situation where uh, it's we're not being protected, especially as athletes, by the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that at the completion of the uh, episode. But first, I wanted to just dive right in and let these survivors have our voice. So here we go. 
I was a gymnast at the University of Gymnastics in Plano, Texas. I was emotionally and sexually abused by my coach, Barry Hyder. One year during competition season, he told me that if I did not lose five pounds that week, I couldn't compete in a meet that weekend. I took extreme measures to be able to compete. I was only 14 or 15 years old. In 1989, we traveled out of the country to watch a gymnastics meet. Since we were out of the country, it was legal for me to drink alcohol. I had my first drink ever. That was the first time he took advantage of me and kissed me. He kissed me countless times after that. He also felt and sucked my breasts. I was 16. He must be held accountable for his actions. He should not be working with children. I wish I would have reported him sooner. I was a gymnast at Capitol Gymnastics in Austin, Texas for about 10 years, starting in 1996 at age 5. I trained from entry level up to elite or level 10 with the old system. I was sexually and emotionally abused by Barry Hyder, other coaches, and the Jarrett's who own Capitol Gymnastics for the majority of my optional career as a gymnast. With Barry, it started as inappropriate jokes or music playing in the gym, but it quickly progressed to inappropriate spotting where he would run his hands up and down my body. I remember being about eight or nine years old and having him touching my breasts and butt regularly when I had him as my coach for bars or vault. He would slap my butt often when spotting me. He would walk by and grab my leg when I was training with another coach on a different event and sometimes walk up and give inappropriate and unwarranted massages without invitation or consent. During conditioning, he would laugh and make sexual comments about mine or other girls' breasts and butt bouncing around. Many times he would strategically walk through the locker room meant for gymnasts while we were changing for practice, likely hoping to catch someone undressed. Barry was also known for emotional and verbal abuse at Capitol, and it wasn't a secret that he would yell at gymnasts he didn't like. He would scream and curse at me to throw tricks I was not well trained to perform on my own yet, and when I refused to do them without a spot, he would leave me on an event by myself for four plus hours. I was 10 years old. After being neglected, he would condition me until I couldn't walk. I remember being yelled at, tortured with conditioning or flexibility, and left on events on a regular basis. I was also lined up with my teammates every competition season where we were weighed in front of one another and told we were fat and needed to lose weight if we wanted to be successful gymnasts. These behaviors were common at Capitol. The other coaches and gym owners knew about this behavior, allowed it to persist, and refused to discuss it with any gymnasts who tried to stand up for themselves. Many of the coaches at Capitol were emotionally abusive to me and my teammates, and they would use conditioning or excessive flexibility as a punishment for what they perceived to be bad gymnasts. I remember being scared to throw a skill I was ill-prepared to do alone and being forced to run outside the building on concrete for hours, told to hold handstands against the wall or chin-ups over the bar for 10-plus minutes, or put in excessive stretching positions that had me crying in pain. Gymnasts would be screaming or crying with tears rushing down their faces, and the coaches either ignored you or made fun of you. They would sit on top of us and tell us to suck it up or we wouldn't be successful. We regularly had our snack breaks taken away during really long four to eight hour practices. We were told if we didn't perform all the skills the coaches wanted us to the way they wanted us to do it, 
that we wouldn't get to eat or drink water that day. If gymnasts got injured because of the torturous training, the coaches would never believe us. They would say we were lying and trying to get out of having to work hard and that we were lazy. When someone had a doctor's order for an injury, the coaches would make fun of them in front of their teammates, tell everyone they were useless, and order them to condition the entire practice instead. We were also not allowed to talk to each other while training, even between turns, and we were punished with conditioning if they caught anyone talking. This abuse I and many others endured at Capital Gymnastics is incredibly dangerous and horrible grooming behavior to do to young kids, especially young girls who are already struggling with body image and self-worth. The Jarrett's would often come into the gym to coach, and they would yell and punish us the same exact way. They trained their coaches to treat children like this. We were screamed at, conditioned, and stretched to excessive limits, and told we were fat as 10-year-olds. If anyone told their parents about what was going on at Capital Gymnastics, they'd be conditioned by their coach or kicked out of the gym. The few coaches who stood up for us were constantly in trouble with the owners and not promoted and left to coach lower-level compulsory only. Abuse was a theme at Capital Gymnastics, and nothing anyone reported to the owners has ever changed that. The sexual and emotional abuse I endured while training at Capital Gymnastics is what ultimately pushed me to retire from the sport. As a young kid, I knew something was wrong, and even if I couldn't identify it then, I knew I was unhappy at the gym and needed to get away from that environment. The abuse I endured at Capitol has stayed with me as an adult, and it's something I struggle with to this day. I still struggle to walk away or speak up for myself when a male makes me uncomfortable. This is what happens to abused children who are made powerless and ignored by adults. Barry Hyder and all those who knew about, propagated, and allowed this behavior to go on, including the Jarrett's, should be held accountable for their actions, removed from the sport of gymnastics, and never allowed to work with kids again. As you may know, some of these stories are incredibly hard, and there are a few victims who have given me permission um, to read their written statement um, rather than them saying it themselves. And um, so I'm going to go ahead and read a few on behalf of these victims um, so that they can stay anonymous and um, just because it's it's really hard to speak public about this. So I was a gymnast with Capital Gymnastics for four and a half years. In 2019, I was assaulted by Coach Barry Hyder when I was 12 years old. He came out to our gym when we were in between coaches. Our Excel coach told us we could trust him because he had worked for Capital for a very long time. Me and some of the other gymnasts got an eerie feeling the minute we saw him. Coach Barry spotted me and several other gymnasts inappropriately and forced us to do skills that we didn't feel comfortable doing yet. He lifted me up to reach the bar, but it felt awkward because I didn't know him. We didn't normally need to be spotted, but he put his hand on the back of my inner butt cheek to give me momentum. None of my coaches had ever spotted me like that, nor was it necessary. He forced me to do back tucks on the trampoline, even though I told him I had never done them. It was obvious that I was uncomfortable. I tried to walk away, but he grabbed my arm and pulled me back to the trampoline. When he spotted me, he put his hand in the middle of my chest when you only need to spot the lower back. Coach Barry needs to be held accountable for his actions. If I hadn't spoken up immediately, his behavior definitely would have progressed. He was only at our gym for four days when we reported him. The Jarrett's, the owner of Capital Gymnastics, didn't report our incident to USA Gymnastics, Safe Sport, or to the authorities so that it could be properly investigated. We were told that he would be fired and put on the do not hire list, but heard he was allowed to return to his home gym in Cedar Park for two weeks.
A year later, when his history of abuse was on the news, the owners emailed members of the gym to say they were shocked and did not know about his behavior. They sent a separate email to us acknowledging our complaints the year before and that Barry had been relieved of his position and then took it upon himself to move to Arkansas. Therefore, they did not feel it was necessary to continue to investigate him. And another victim states, In the early 80s, I trained at Metroplex Gymnastics located in the Dallas area. I was training to become elite. My coaches were Jim and Cheryl Jarrett and a coach I will call X. They were hoping to develop a much-needed quality elite training program in the area. Talented gymnasts left their homes for the opportunity to, per to participate in this program. I had left the only gym I had known for several years. The culture in the gym was not only competitive and tense, but it was also hostile. The coaches seemed to want it this way. They played favorites, and I was not a favorite. Common punishments were hours for, of conditioning, including climbing the rope, being ignored, or being thrown out of the gym. Some girls were punished more frequently and readily than others. After a long summer of intense training, some of us were chosen to go to a team qualifying competition. Top teens were then qualified to go to a prestigious competition in Oregon. I earned a spot on the qualifying team, and our team actually placed to go to Oregon. When I showed up to the itinerary meeting, however, I was told I was being replaced with a teammate. The coaches had made this decision without consulting me, and it was final. Soon after the team returned, X was abruptly fired. The owners of the gym had fired him by placing an, a note on his door overnight. We did not know the reasoning for the firing. The owners claimed it was a business decision, yet X was the only one fired. The Jarrett's quickly announced that they were going to move to Austin despite the fact that they had moved to Dallas just months before. It was all very sudden and strange. Did the Jarrett's know why X was fired? I often wonder why. Without any coaches, the newly formed elite program unraveled. We were abandoned. All of the gymnasts had to find new gyms. Some of us followed X. I was one of them. It was during this vulnerable interim period that X began the grooming process with me. I was a sophomore in high school. Before the end of the year, when I was 15, X sexually abused me. In the following years, not only did the sexual abuse continue, but the accompanying shame and fear ushered in every other form of abuse into every corner of my life. He captured me and then suffocated me. My remaining years of high school, I sometimes saw Cheryl Jarrett at competitions. I remember her asking me if I was okay. I remember her mentioning X. She seemed to be studying my facial expression, looking for a sign. It seemed as if she was testing me. Did she know something I didn't? Was she looking for an opening to tell me something? I am sure I smiled and said I was fine. In my years of gymnastics, I had learned to hide my emotions and deny reality. The truth is, I was not fine. I was depressed and sometimes suicidal. I didn't even know how to express these feelings as they had previously been foreign concepts. Unfortunately, I did not last much longer in gymnastics. I received a full-ride scholarship, but I lost my ability to cope after a year or so. If Cheryl or Jim Jarrett knew of any prior sexual abuse by X and kept it secret, they should know they failed me measurably. If they have learned of any subsequent sexual abuse by X, they should be held accountable for having their U and by having their USA Gymnastics memberships revoked immediately. Finally, Jim and Cheryl Jarrett's training methods should be thoroughly investigated. If they cultivated abuse training environments in the 80s, it's likely they still do. I was a gymnast at Capitol from age 7 to 16. I was abused emotionally and sexually by Barry Hyder. It was common for any gymnast that he didn't like to be punished more than those he did like. There was a huge problem with favoritism at Capitol. If you had talent but also severe issues with fear, you were definitely not a favorite and they definitely treated you like such. I was treated a lot worse than his more quote-unquote successful gymnasts. If I was afraid, I was screamed at in front of everyone. 
I was in the top level group, so little girls would look up to us in that group. They'd see me getting screamed at, see me showing fear for a skill and not even going for it, and I'd feel like such a bad person. And I was worried they'd stop looking up to me. If I cried, I'd be kicked out of the gym or forced to condition. If I wouldn't go for a skill and kept balking, I'd be kicked out or sent to condition, or sometimes left on that event for hours, unattended, until it was time to go home or until I did the skill. Around nine or ten, I remember having to do stuff like that, around as young as that. I would be exhausted from conditioning or repeating skills for hours on end that sometimes I'd end up getting hurt, which even then, I wouldn't be allowed to stop. This was a weekly occurrence for me, and for years it completely deteriorated my self-worth. It was commonplace to have to train on injuries. I would get injured regularly and be forced to train on those injuries. I still have constant pain in those places to this day. He would ignore doctor's orders and get mad when we came into the gym with a brace or a cast. And we still, with those on, had to train in any way we could. I remember having doing flips and stuff on the trampoline in a boot. Many times following badly, a badly sprained ankle, the doctor ordered me to rest for six weeks. Barry forced me to get back into training on day three. If we cried or complained about pain, we'd be punished. It was normal at the gym to isolate those who wanted to quit. It was like sort of a cult, I guess you could say, is what it felt like in retrospect. So if anyone wanted to leave, he and other gymnasts would consider that that gymnast was, be, was bad and to be avoided. I was one of those. I genuinely thought I was a bad person for wanting to leave, and sometimes it made me feel like I deserved to die. He told us we were wasting everyone's time, our parents, money, and our own lives if we talked about such things. Whenever I wouldn't go for a skill and I'd be afraid and I'd be alone on that event, whoever would talk to me would get punished as well because he wanted to keep those like me isolated. Barry would talk about how my breasts were not as developed as the others and would joke about how my body was changing in front of everyone. He would grab my butt and breast during spotting in ways that no other coach had. He'd hold his hands in those places for way too long and would massage and squeeze. Sometimes his hand would slide in between the legs during spotting or stretching and grab there and his hands really had no reason to be there. And also during stretching, it was normal for coaches, especially Barry, to hold us down in that stretch beyond our limits to the point where we were crying and sometimes screaming. If we did either of those, the whole entire team would have to stay in that position for a lot longer. During those stretches, he'd put his hands in those private places. In addition, he would come up and start giving us back and shoulder massages without asking, and one time even started readjusting my bra. We would regularly have snack times taken away if we didn't perform well or even if we just talked too much. We would train for hours and be punished if we were caught sneaking food. One time when I was 12, he forced me and a teammate to run for nearly an hour straight after eating a small cup of ice cream. He'd comment on how my stomach sticked out and how I needed to fix it even though I was only 11. In, in addition, when we would just try to talk to one another, sit down during training, just relax and be kids because that's what we were, we'd be yelled at and punished. We would have to condition or go running if we sat too long. Because of all this just pushing away of communication with one another and that social development, I still to this day have trouble, have trouble forming relationships and just making friends with people, sometimes even looking people in the eyes. So 
due to all the things I went through, I struggled with things like depression, anorexia, self-harm regularly up until this year. I still struggle to this day. I wish I could tell every story and every experience, but I mean, it's like 12 years of that stuff and there's just too many. Barry needs to be held accountable for the years of irreversible damage he did to me and countless other girls. And the Jarrett's need to be held accountable for letting Barry work and be left alone with children for so many years. We were stripped of our childhoods. And I can never get it back. So the most I can do is at least keep other kids from losing their childhoods too. I want justice for myself, for the countless other women that were damaged through these experiences, and I want to keep any future child safe from things like this so they don't have to be still struggling with wanting to live up until their mid-20s or beyond. I was employed by Capital Gymnastics for almost 10 years. During that time, there was a coach that I felt was getting too close to the kids, showing inappropriate behavior towards the kids and making me feel very uncomfortable. I addressed my concerns with my managers and their response was, I was wrong and being dramatic. That coach went on to get arrested for sexual abuse to a minor months later. Although I was not personally abused by coaches as a gymnast, I was subjected to emotional abuse and sexual discrimination as an employee. I was a gymnast at Capitol for 16 years, with a majority of those years spent on the competitive team. I started at two years old in a mom and taught class and trained up to level 10. Once I was invited to be on the competitive team, things changed from a fun and laid back environment to one of emotional abuse, physical abuse, and sexual abuse. Some of the things I experienced while I was a gymnast at Capitol include coaches taking away snack breaks during four plus hour workouts, limiting water breaks during hot Texas summers because they thought we were trying to get out of doing something, weighing us and telling us to lose one to two pounds by the next weigh-in, shaming us for food and drink choices, punishing us for being fearful of a skill by banishing us to stay on one event or to sit in the splits on an elevated mat for an entire four-hour workout, physically stretching us beyond our limits while we cried out for the coach to stop, verbally insulting us about our bodies and punishing us with conditioning and strength exercises that pushed us beyond what we could handle. We weren't allowed to talk to each other while waiting in line at the chalk bucket on bars. The environment at Capitol with the competitive team while I was there was one that harbored emotional abuse, physical abuse, and sexual abuse, and the Jarrett's, who were the owners who hired every coach, should be held accountable for what happened under their watch. Specifically referencing Barry Hyder, he was the only coach out of numerous coaches over the years to have sexually abused me. He became my coach while I was a teenager. He would comment to me about other gymnasts' breast size or butt size. He would criticize them and laugh about how their body parts moved while running or comp completing skills. He would come up behind me without asking or saying a word, massage my shoulders, and then lean against me and press his body into mine from behind. While spotting, he placed his hands on places that should have not been touched in order to be spotted for any skill. For years, I knew what he was doing was wrong because other coaches did not spot me in those same uncomfortable ways. Barry always told inappropriate sexual jokes about his home life. 
Once when his wife was pregnant again, he said the hockey puck just slipped past the goalie while referencing sex. He told me once while no one else was around us that he was talking to a teenager from New York online through AOL and that he planned to meet her. I don't know if he followed through with that. I hurt my ankle once and Barry said I needed to place my ankle in a bucket with ice and cold water in it. I had to place my bare foot in the bucket. I was complaining of it being too cold and kept taking my foot out so he came and sat on my lap and wouldn't let me take either of my legs out of the bucket despite me asking and despite one of my ankles not being injured. Barry had favorites or a type I guess you could say as not every gymnast that he coached experienced abuse. If you were one of his favorites as I was he would be more lenient with some things sometimes, so I wouldn't be yelled at for not taking as many turns on bars as other gymnasts because he was busy telling me sexual stories and making me feel like I was getting out of doing the hard work. His actions were very twisted and confusing. The memories of abuse that I have from my time at Capitol are very vivid and I will never forget them. I struggled with anxiety and any interaction with males for much of my adult life. I wasn't comfortable with hugging any male for a long time because when Barry hugged me, he pressed his body into mine inappropriately. I was a child when all of this abuse occurred. I knew something wasn't right about what was happening, but I was powerless. When you grow up in an environment that supports adults controlling and abusing children, those children do not have an ability to speak up. My parents would have never let any of this happen if they had known about what was going on. I was unable to tell them out of fear that I was either wrong in my accusations or retaliation would occur in the gym against me. It took me over 20 years to realize that what happened was wrong and not just part of the sport. I still get anxiety when I think about the potential of having to see any of the abusive coaches in person. It makes me feel like I need to lose weight and be in the best shape of my life so that they will approve. That is wrong. Barry Hyder and the Jarrett should not be allowed to continue their gymnastics operations, including coaching. If they continue, the abuse will continue. If they had listened when people reported abuse or if they simply disagreed with an environment of abuse, many gymnasts would not have experienced abuse. Something has to change so that the sport of gymnastics is safe for everyone. I think first I want to thank all of the uh, survivors for being willing to share their stories and their statements. I, all of us know that it's if you're a survivor, you know it's not easy to do that. And especially knowing that hundreds, if not thousands, are going to hear this, uh, it makes it really intimidating, really hard to do it. So thank you. And if you're a survivor that's been speaking out or has spoken out, kudos to you. Thank you. The more of us that do it, the more that people are going to be held accountable and the more that uh, we're going to be able to create a zero tolerance environment for not only athletes, but just uh, in society in general, because it's not just in athletics that, you know, people are dealing with this. I also want to take a second to apologize. In the Advocating for Athletes series, I reference a story where Barry had asked us to dress up in clothes that he had in the back of his car. And I share a lot of intimate information of which that we knew because Barry was inappropriately sharing it with us about his uh, marriage and divorce and the situation that was going on. And there is someone who deserves a big apology for me sharing that story. I shared that story because I felt like it illustrated a large part of inappropriateness and it was a very good concrete story of what we were subjected to um, in addition to the other things that he did to us. But it also, it hurt 
some people that were that were involved and specifically it's really not fun for you to hear that being publicly displayed about your life if you are his ex-wife so um, Amy if you're listening I am very sorry for sharing that information I in the moment did not understand the implications of sharing those details and how it could affect someone that the details were about and I have learned through this that I need to really make sure that before I publish anything on any of my podcast or social media that I need to think about how it's going to affect others. And I hope that you hear my sincerity in this. Um, I hope you, you know that I now understand since more people are speaking out what you two were probably also subjected to and you probably got it the worst out of anyone. And I am so sorry that that happened to you. I'm so sorry for uh, the things that I said. And I hope that you truly, truly can hear my my apology and hopefully um, understand that it didn't come from a malicious place. It came from a place of wanting to share true facts. And um, I just didn't really think it through. So I just wanted to make sure that I said that. I want to go ahead and now dive into some updates on the situation that has kind of been created since the Advocating for Athletes podcast uh, series aired. I want to go ahead and say this first before I really dive into that. I started working on this podcast episode in 2020. So if you go back and you listen to the beginning, I mentioned, you know, the changes that we're dealing with 2020. And here I am uh, weeks later in 2021. And still trying to make this podcast come to life and this episode come to life, and it is not easy. So if you are someone who doesn't agree with what's being said on this podcast, if you are someone who is very upset um, and maybe you didn't have the same experience, please know that I recognize that not everyone had the experience that we had. Please do not come at me and degrade me or my story or any other victim that spoke up on this podcast that there st- that it didn't happen don't tell them don't tell us that we're liars don't tell us that we're making this up for attention don't tell us we just weren't good enough gymnast and that's why we deserved what we deserved these are all things that people have told me since I've spoken up and did this uh, this series and it's it's incredibly wrong because in the series I talk about how it's fully possible to have been coached by the same person and not had that experience it is possible. And if you think it's not possible, you're part of the problem. Let me explain something in a different manner. I have a husband who is incredibly involved in the sport of baseball, incredibly talented, could play a lot of positions, could switch hit, and was very much sought after in high school for uh, not only college teams, but uh, major league baseball teams. He was coached by uh, an NBA, 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 not an NBA player, an MLB um, professional player his entire teenage years. He was given opportunities that were incredible, and he absolutely loved his coach. There are people that don't agree with that coach. There are people that think his coach was abusive. There are people that think that his coach doesn't use the right form of uh, coaching, And I've had to have a conversation with my husband because he didn't think that it was possible that people wouldn't 
like the way that he coached and didn't appreciate the way that he coached. And he didn't think it was possible that there might be athletes that were abused by him. And I've had to sit down and explain to him that there is a chance that your personality and that coach worked well enough together that you never had to experience that. There's also a chance that you were a good enough athlete where you produced well enough that you didn't frustrate him. And the same thing can go for those people who may or may not agree with what's being stated as a truth from someone else. You have to recognize that you may have had a level of athleticism that some of us didn't have that allowed you to produce at the level that you were supposed to produce or that you were expected to produce at. And some of us didn't, wasn't granted that. Some of us were granted different personalities. And just as adults, where we don't see eye to eye and we butt heads with other adults because we have conflicting personalities, the same exact thing happens from a gymnast or an athlete to a coach. And people have to recognize that. And just because there's a difference in personalities doesn't mean that it's a reason to abuse that person emotionally, physically, mentally, or sexually. And that is the issue that I have had with my, the response to all of this. People are telling me that I am literally chasing fame by speaking out about this. And I can promise you, if you knew me well enough, you'd know that that's not true. And you would know that every other person that's on our case right now with the U.S. Center for Safe Sport is not doing that either. We're doing it because we were wronged and we want to make it right and we want to make the future better for future athletes. So I wanted to go ahead and put that out there to make sure that people understood and had perspective on knowing that it's okay to have a different experience by the same coach. And I can understand how if you've had a really great experience with the same coach or the same owners, good job, great for you. I'm so happy that you didn't have to go through this, but don't you dare negate that to someone else. Just because you had a good experience doesn't mean that someone else didn't. You have got to stop doing that. Switching gears a little bit, I want to kind of just dive into um, kind of some updates and and talk about what has happened and come to fruition. Uh, following the series, a Facebook group uh, was created where a bunch of teammates and uh, a gymnast in the Austin area joined and they started sharing their stories. And if you go through that Facebook page, there are an insane amount of uh, abuse allegations, and it's not just at Capital Gymnastics, it's at many different gyms um, in Austin, San Antonio, and Texas. And from that group, a group of us started conversing more and realized that we weren't okay with just laughing it off. We weren't okay with just saying, that's just how gymnastics was, or that's just how the sport is, which is also something that we have received, uh, you want to call it complaints about. You guys weren't just tough enough. You, that's just how the sport is. If you want to be good, then you just have to deal with that. You don't have to be abused to be a professional athlete. It is not necessary. And that is part of the problem of society. So from this, this group of, of us that kind of uh, got together and started really talking about what we wanted to do, we decided we wanted to report it. So we reported it, uh, our stories to uh, USA Gymnastics and due to the sexual nature, uh, USA Gymnastics is no longer given the jurisdiction of any reports that have sexual nature. It immediately gets jurisdiction to uh, and for the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. 
at that time, we then started, uh, we, were, we were eventually assigned an investigator. Uh, the onboarding process at U.S. Center for Safe Sport was absolutely atrocious. No one knew what was going on. We were not given an advocate that explained the process to us. Their website provides little to no information about the process, what to expect, resources you know, to be given to, to help you through this process. And it was, it was not good. And a little bit of backstory on the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. So the U.S. Center for Safe Sport was created in 2017 from Congress in response to the Nasser case. The, the government wanted to create a system in which all of the Nasser complaints were processed through, not just through USA Gymnastics, but through a um, government-created entity, which is where U.S. Center for Safe Sport came. They were created in 2017, um, launched in 2018, and from that point, they have been underfunded. They have been understaffed. Uh, they have completely failed at uh, fulfilling their mission. Actually, I want to go ahead and read what Safe Sports' mission is. Safe Sports' fundamental duties are to assist with swift resolution of conflicts and disputes involving amateur athletes, national governing bodies, and amateur sport organizations. They're supposed to promote a safe environment in sports that is free from ab abuse, including emotional, physical, and sexual abuse of any amateur athlete. They're also supposed to ensure that mechanisms employed provide fair notice and an opportunity to be heard and protect the privacy and safety of compl complainants. They're literally doing none of those things. To give you some information of some things that have happened, once the investigation kick-started, we had an incredible investigator. We were very fortunate. He was actually a contracted out investigator who has previously been a federal judge, and uh, he did a phenomenal job. He, I helped him connect the dots on who was who. We realized that this situation was spanning over 40 years, and so there was a lot of moving parts of understanding who, what happened and when, and who was this person associated with this person, and getting in contact with, with teammates that we had never even, you know, stayed in contact with, and all of these things, and he did a great job navigating it all. And then in November, two weeks go by, and I don't hear from him, and him and I were communicating on a pretty regular basis. I had reached out twice, got no response, and it was not like him. And then a week later, I get a phone call out of the blue to my business number, and this reporter leaves a voicemail asking for me to call her back. I end up calling the reporter back, and it just so happened to be um, a reporter from The Athletic, which, if you don't know, The Athletic is a subscription-only based media platform for sports. So if you don't pay to get their news articles, you can't read more than two, the first two paragraphs of any article they write. She informs me that she has reason to believe that our investigator is no longer employed by Safe Sport. And of course, it's not really fun to listen and hear this happening um, from a reporter when it, you would expect to hear it from Safe Sport themselves. So she sends me a leak to an article that she had aired or, or released back, um, at, you know, I guess, the beginning of November, end of September. I can't remember the exact date. It basically addresses that there has been a security breach at Safe Sport. And at the end of September, I think it was September 26th when it happened. To this day, months later, Safe Sport has still not notified any victim of this breach. The only reason that anyone even knows about the security breach is because this reporter called me and because this reporter put an, an article out. 
safe sport since I confronted them about the breach. And I quote, said that was that article was their form of a public statement. So they're claiming that their public statement was done in a subscription-only based media outlet. That's not a public statement. That's not, not notifying victims. And the law tells you that since U.S. Center for Safe Sport was created in Colorado and is a 501c3, that legally, if there is a security breach in the state of Colorado, the entity has 30 days to notify anyone that would be affected by that security breach. Safe Sport has not notified one person. We've contacted people who had open cases in, in, that live in Colorado, haven't been contacted. I've talked to people in New York, haven't been notified. I've talked to people in Kentucky, haven't been notified. I've talked to people in California, haven't been notified. Our stories, our recorded interviews, our emails, every, our contact information, some of the victims have put forth, have, have delivered medical documents that are protected by HIPAA. They're all subject to being released publicly. The, now, Safe Sports claiming that everything's fine and under wraps, but the reality of a breach is that you don't know who has what information and what they're going to do with it. That's the scary thing about security breaches. The other thing is Safe Sport. <laughs> This is crazy, but they didn't have two-step authentication on their system. So when the investigators who are working remotely are investigating these cases, they open up their computer and boom, they're right into the, uh, the server and they don't have to do anything else. It is asinine at this day and age to not have a two-step authentication system. Moreover, they also had their server in a closet that was not locked off of the uh, kitchen, like common area in their, their headquarter facility in Colorado, meaning at any point in any time, anyone had access to touch it. Now, does someone do a security breach through literally the physical touching of a, of a server? No, that's not typical. It's the, but what it illustrates is the lack of focus and, uh, how much they should have paid attention to protecting the information that they are harboring. A little bit more information about Safe Sport. They have had to double their budget each year since 2018 because they cannot keep up with all of the complaints and the reports. There are over 2,000 open cases right now, most of which have been open for two to three years. And on top of that, after the security breach, the administration's response was to fire 15 investigators. That was their way of putting blame on someone else. And it is my understanding that they only had 30 investigators employed prior to that disposal of investigators. So they currently have over 2,000 open cases, some of which have been open for two to three years, and 15 investigators handling those cases. You're talking about hundreds of cases being assigned to each investigator. How in the world can they effectively do their job? They can't. No investigator in the United States that's working on the criminal side of things is handed over 100 cases. That's unrealistic. Nothing would ever get done. So this is what we've now been open to. We are now in, in a situation where our most intimate stories are in videos, and you guys think that the recordings that we shared here today are intimate? E 
we've protected some of the most intimate and and not welcoming experiences in what we said today on the podcast. There's a lot more that's happened that we didn't disclose at all that is in these interviews that we've had with our investigator. In addition to having our information possibly being exposed and SafeSport not doing their job on protecting their their uh, the information that they hold, we are also being forced to re-interview with our investigator. That's called re-victimization. And this is the problem with Title IX offices at universities. This is the problem with a lot of attorneys who handle these cases. And now we're trying we're, we're, we're trying to trust an organization who's supposed to protect us, and all they're doing is making us do this all over again. They're claiming that they still have our previous videos, but we're still needing to do, with our new investigator, a new video recording. Guys, it's not easy <laughs> to tell your story. It's not easy to share it. And I know that you're going to say, oh, well, y'all are hypocrites because you're sharing it now on this public you know, domain, whatever. And the reason is, is because if our stuff comes out, we at least had control of how we shared it here. We don't have control how the media shares it. If someone who ever did the breach decides to dispose of this information and sells it to the media or whatever, that's their story. We don't get, we have no control over that. And from my experience with 12th Woman, we know how crappy the media is and we know that they'll write whatever story they want to write and it doesn't matter what you think and it doesn't matter what your story is. So this is a chance for us to put it out there for ourselves and to write our own story and to say it in our own words. So beyond being re-victimized now and having to be assigned a whole new investigator, you also have to realize that that new investigator has to go back and be kept up to date with all of the names. And there are, I'm just going to go ahead and say this, over 15 names on our case. So she has to now go in and educate herself on the ins and outs of our incredibly intense, elongated case. And we know for a fact that our previous investigator has not had a chance and will not have a chance to catch the new investigator up to speed. So not only did they fire the old investigators abruptly, they didn't notify us. It took me finding out from my reporter, a reporter, and not only did they not notify us, but they did no transfer of documents. So there was no point in time that, an, that the previous investigator could update and explain the case to the new investigator to save time and energy and effort. It's a complete, for lack of better words, shit show at US Center for Safe Sport. Something else I want to address is kind of what's gone on locally. So while we've been fighting this fight with the US Center for Safe Sport and are now in a bigger issue with them than we even thought we would be by just speaking up and holding someone accountable or multiple people accountable. We've also been completely, I don't even know if there's an accurate one word for it, but abandoned, betrayed, uh, saddened, frustrated, a a lot of emotions and words come to mind with uh, the forthcoming of us speaking out. You're listening to someone who had an incredibly intimate relationship with the owners of Capital Gymnastics. On a regular basis, I wake up 
and struggle with speaking up about what has happened because of how I know it affects people. And I have been told that I don't care how this affects people and I'm doing it anyway and that I'm ruthless for doing it. And if that's your opinion, fine. That's, you, that's your choice. But the reality is, is if we continue to use intimate relationships as a reason to not speak up, the environment will never change. Once the podcast aired, um, I was notified by the Jarrett's that they were aware of the podcast and the report. Um, and obviously it began to affect them and their personal life. And it was during the middle of, of things shutting down um, or being shut down with COVID. And there was just a lot of negative energy that obviously came about it. Um, there was a news uh, segment that aired on KXAN here in Austin, and it basically addressed the complaints and what we were reporting to U.S. Center for Safe Sport. And in that news segment, uh, the owner, Jim Jarrett, states that he had no prior knowledge of any complaints of Barry Hyder, that he knew nothing about it, that they've never had issues, they've never had any any situations come up um, that that would cause him to even question his ability to be a proper coach. To see him on television or being quoted on television, lying straight through to, pro- to, to protect, I guess, his business, which I can understand the need to protect a business when it's your livelihood. But at some point, you have to realize that it's no longer about you or your business. It's about being the change. Had he just said, you know what? We did have issues and we should have handled them earlier. He's gone now and we want to be part of the change. It would have been a completely different response. Instead, he basically said, we know nothing, which we know is a lie. I myself sat in their living room and told them everything I experienced after they fired him once. Why did they fire him once? For behavior issues. They've also fired him a second time prior to relocating him over to the Round Rock gym. They knew nothing. They had, they knew of no behavioral issues. They just so happened to fire him twice, ironically, for other issues. I don't think that's true at all. So they are lying through their teeth. Furthermore, I have quotes from two different emails. After the KXAN segment aired, he sent an email to all Excel parents at the Round Rock Gym. One of the sentences from that email says, We were told that the complaint was made in confidence, so we were not made aware of specific details other than what we read on KXAN's post and what was aired. Yet, to the victims who experienced uh, abuse from Barry in 2019, who had made those reports, they sent a separate email. And in that email, I quote, Very shortly after your complaints, Barry was relieved from working for us until we could have an opportunity to address the complaints appropriately. This was over a year ago. While he was relieved of work duties, he and his wife decided to move to Arkansas to be closer to family. So within 24 hours, they send one email blast out to all current clients, customers that they have. They do not send it to the three gymnasts who had filed the complaint. They withhold and pull their names off of the email list and then send this separate email to these parents stating that they knew about it. I, I, I don't know how else to tell you like how contradictory and obvious it is that they are straight up lying and trying to cover it up still to this day. 
It's one thing to mess up. It's one thing to make a decision to keep harboring a coach who shouldn't be there anymore. It's a whole nother thing to continue to protect yourself and Barry for the sake of your own livelihood. These are children we are talking about. And mind you, Barry left Austin and went to another gym in Arkansas called Aspire Gymnastics and proceeded to coach there. And Aspire Gymnastics chose to not tell anyone about his previous allegations. So I have also, in the midst of all of this, gotten phone calls from parents in Arkansas who found my information on the internet and asked and wanted to know more, started listening to the podcast and wanted to know why in the world their gym wouldn't notify them of these previous allegations. And this was at the point when there was already a U.S. Center for Safe Sport investigation. And U.S. Center for Safe Sport does not require any organization to inform their customers of any complaints that a coach is currently going through. So they were allowed to not tell their current customers about a coach who is being investigated for sexual, emotional, and physical abuse. If anyone knows anything about my experience with 12th Woman and A&M, it's so incredibly terrifying how parallel these two organizations are and how parallel the systems are. We are dealing with people speaking out about something that people have gotten away with for years and years and years and decades, and now all of a sudden they're not, and people are pissed about it. Also, USA Gymnastics, when we officially reported it at the very beginning back in July, they pulled him from being able to coach. When it, the jurisdiction went over to U.S. Center for Safe Sport, they reinstated Barry. It wasn't until I had a very colorful conversation with U.S. Center for Safe Sport that they decided that he shouldn't be coaching while this investigation's ongoing. And it wasn't even truly that that got them to stop. It was the fact that there were parents who were boycotting the gym until the gym decided to put him on, quote, administrative leave. Once the gym put him on, quote, administrative leave, U.S. Center for Safe Sport then decided, said, hey, you're going to be temporarily not allowed to coach right now. For For someone who was doing all of this while there were other adults in the gym and there were owners that knew about it, for Safe Sport to still allow him to coach in a gym somewhere else while the investigation's going on under the terms that he had to be in the gym with another adult means nothing because he clearly didn't, it didn't stop him from doing this prior when there was other adults in the gym and other kids in the gym. It has been incredibly frustrating to go throughout this entire process. It is, for me, yet again, another uh, reason to have zero faith in humanity zero faith in the process, zero faith in the organizations that are supposed to protect us. And the only reason why I am still fighting this fight and not giving up is because I have a son that I believe deserves a better place and a better world. And he loves to be active and he loves to learn how to play sports. And I'll be damned if he grows up in a world where he can't hold people accountable and be in an athletic setting where he is respected and he is safe. And right now, we're not getting that at the athlete level, and we're not getting it at the organization who's supposed to protect those athletes. So what are we supposed to do? Just sit back and be quiet and do nothing? Because that's what it seems like a lot of people want us to do. And I'm not willing to do that, and there's a lot of other people who aren't willing to do that either. I challenge anyone and everyone who's listening to this 
to start the conversation and to be a leader in the zero tolerance. I will not be doing any more podcast episodes on this subject. And if I do, it'll be a very quick update. And every I'm going back to the positive things that we can do in our life and hearing positive, uplifting stories about people making changes in their life for the better. But we have got to stop the victim shaming. We have got to stop making, it, making victims feel awful for speaking up. It is their truth. It is their story. And they have a right to do that. And if you don't agree with it, that's okay. But you don't have to sit there and belittle or negate or re-victimize a victim because you didn't experience that or you don't agree with it. And a lot of other people think that I'm also here just trying to destroy the sport of gymnastics, and that's not it either. I've actually just signed my son up for gymnastics. I believe in the sport. I believe that it can change. But I also believe that it has to be done the correct way. So for all you haters out there that think I'm just trying to destroy the sport of gymnastics, that's not what I'm trying to do, and it's not what anyone who's reporting any coach to make the world a better place is trying to do. If you are listening to this and you have reported with U.S. Center for Safe Sport, I urge you to ask questions about the security breach. I urge you to ask questions on what was, what was leaked and what wasn't. I urge you to push and push and apply pressure as best as you can, and I urge you to get an attorney, get representation, get someone to fight for you and be protected because no one else is going to protect you. No one is going to protect you in this situation. If you are someone who wants to report, I highly recommend reporting to your national governing body first and see if they can handle it. If it's sexual based, it's going to get pushed to USOC or US Center for Safe Sport. And then when it does, keep applying pressure. Because without pressure, they're just going to put your case on the very, very back, back bottom of the list and they're not going to deal with it. And if you can, try to create reports and numbers. The only thing that we, from who I, when I've talked to a bunch of victims who have all reported different stories from all over the United States, and the one thing that's consistent of who's getting attention and who's getting their, their report looked at right now are victims and, and reports with multiple victims who are showing repetition of, of a situation. So if you can get a group of you together to file a report, I highly recommend doing it. There are power in numbers. And if you are a victim that just wants to speak up and share your story, do it on social media and don't look back. There are so many hashtags that gymnasts are using and athletes are using to share their story and to speak up and hold people accountable. And there's just as much power in that in speaking your truth as there is in filing a report. And I encourage anyone and everyone who has a truth that deserves to be heard to speak it. And it doesn't even have to be about assault or victims or abuse. It could just be a situation that you've experienced. So much of society wants us to be perfect and wants us to portray this life of perfection. And it's not reality. We, no one is, is perfect. No one in this world is going to live a perfect life. And we've got to stop creating that false sense of reality. The reality is, is we all have stories that deserve to be told. And we all have a community that, deserve, that we deserve to be supported by. And if your community doesn't support you speaking your truth, then maybe they're not the right people to be in your community. And that's something I sure of hell has learned through all of this.
All right, I'm going to wrap things up. That's I wanted to get all of that out there. I wanted people to know about the reality of the behind the scenes of um, what the owners are still trying to cover up. I wanted people to know about the security breach at SafeSport. I wanted to know about SafeSport's inability to protect athletes and fulfill their mission. And the more that we know and the more people that know, the more we can do to make change for the better. If you're someone who wants to get involved and you don't know how and you don't really feel like you have a story or a report to file, but you want to get involved and help, reach out to me. I will gladly point you in directions where your energy can be used. And if you haven't, you should also go listen to the Gymcastic episode that I did uh, a month or so back with Jessica, who's the founder of of Gymcastic, the number one podcast uh, for gymnastics. We talk in depth about the security breach. If you want to know more about what that is and the legalities behind it, we brought on a uh, a specialist to talk about what, you know, the ins and outs of how they work and what our rights are and all of that jazz. So if you want to learn more about the details of the breach with the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, feel free to give that podcast uh, episode a listen. And anything that Jessica does is actually really great. So if you're a gymnastics fiend, um, Gymcastic is an incredible podcast to listen to. All right, y'all. I appreciate you spending the time to listen um, and hear these victims. I uh, appreciate anyone and everyone that has helped us and supported us, our families. It's been not the easiest fight, and I don't think we're anywhere near done. But um, hopefully 2021 will bring a lot more charm and smiles and uh, good positive change than 2020 did. And I hope that there are more people in 2021 who walk this earth more educated and with more empathy of understanding that there are people who have uh, trauma and truths that need to be told and they don't have to be ridiculed for it. So thank you. This is Advocating for Athletes Series signing off. Adios.